Welcome to the 55th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Norb Vonnegut, author of the financial thrillers Top Producer and The Gods of Greenwich. Uh, well, welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Norb Vonnegut, author of the new financial thriller, The Gods of Greenwich, available in bookstores now. The New York Times recently listed The Gods of Greenwich as a beach read for 2011. Vonnegut's previous novel, also a financial thriller, is Top Producer. Norb, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jeff. It's great to be here. Great. Well, I just mentioned your new novel, Gods of Greenwich. If someone hasn't heard of, about it yet, can you tell them about your new book? Sure. Well, if you like thrillers, you'll probably gravitate toward Rachel Whittier in, in The Gods of Greenwich. Uh, she could be adorable. She's a nurse. She's pretty. She's 28 or thereabouts. She works on, plot, on uh, Park Avenue in a plastic surgeon's office. And I w like I say, she could be adorable except for one thing. At night, she doubles as an assassin, and she runs around the book whacking uh, men and women in their 70, 70s. And so a reader will ask, what does she have to do with a hedge fund in Greenwich? And what does she have to do with a really nasty bank in Iceland? And why in the heck is she killing these 70-year-olds? So I tell the story through the eyes of Jimmy Cusack. Uh, he's a guy I think that uh, readers can all uh, root for. He's, uh, you know, he's a young guy. He has a story that we all understand all too well since 2008. Uh, the book starts with the four scariest words in finance, I want my money. And so Jimmy Cusack's lead investor pulls out his money from, from Cusack's hedge fund and shortly thereafter, everything goes bad for Cusack. Uh, uh, he falls behind in his mortgage uh, three months, as a matter of fact, and the bank forecloses on him the day that he learns his wife is two months pregnant. So he really needs a job. Um, I, like I say, I think that's a story we can all understand post-2008. And so he, he takes his position with the hedge fund in Greenwich, and he thinks uh, that life is good again. You know, the cash flow is, is going. Um, but what he realizes is that he's stepped into this Bermuda Triangle of finance. There's his employer, uh, who is an interesting uh, situation in and of itself. There's his nasty bank in Iceland. And like I say, there's this woman, Rachel Whittier, who runs around the pages whacking 70-year-olds. <laughs> great. That's a that's a great description. Uh, I've been enjoying the book a lot. Um, and obviously, from from reading it, you're, you're obviously very familiar with the setting of Greenwich, Connecticut and the hedge funds that operate from Greenwich. I was curious, what is your background um, before you started writing financial thrillers? Uh, well, I worked on Wall Street for 20 years. I graduated from Harvard Business School in 86. And uh, a few years after, uh, started with Kidder Peabody and uh, later, uh, like so many other people in finance chain shops, uh, several times. So I worked for Kidder. It blew up and turned into Payne Weber. I worked for Morgan Stanley. And finally, I, I stopped uh, 
uh, or I ended my career in finance with a boutique called Silvercrest Asset Management, where I was a managing director. But I write full-time now, and I'm really having a blast uh, uh, telling stories. And when uh, somebody, a, a buddy of mine in Hollywood asked me, uh, to describe the gods of Greenwich, I, I told him, what if Tony Soprano ran a hedge fund? Pretty good, right? <laughs> yeah, very. <laughs> uh, well, well, when you worked in finance those years, were you writing fiction um, in your spare time? And, and if you if you were, uh, were you thinking, I'm going to write about these characters and setting one day? What, what's the process been like for you? Well, there are some who would say that everything that comes out of Wall Street is fiction, but that's another story, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, no, the, the bottom line is, is that I've been telling stories all my, my life. I told stories as a kid at the dinner table, and while I was working on Wall Street, I told stories uh, to my clients. Frankly, it was a great way to build business, and I have a million of them. Um, and I've got to tell you, I've got enough material to write for... Uh, the next 50 years, because working on the street was like living a soap opera 24-7. Uh, I'll give you a great example of this. In Top Producer, which was my first novel, I spliced in a lot of anecdotes uh, from my time as a stockbroker. And there was this one about uh, a broker who had some clients in from out of town, and they worked behind closed doors all day, and reviewed statements, talked about investment strategies, and what have you. And at the end of the day, the stockbroker took his clients out to dinner. They had a bottle of red wine, you know, a nice meal. And the clients decided that they wanted to go to a strip bar. Mm -hmm. And so the broker said, oh, my gosh, you, you know, because that's a real problem these days in finance. I mean, you, you really get burns. But uh, he went anyway. And so he, he went with the clients, and he walked into this uh, strip bar, and the woman on stage who was dancing took one look, covered up with her arms, screamed, and ran off the stage. And there were bouncers, bouncers everywhere. They came screaming out of the woodwork, and three of these really big, burly guys pushed the stockbroker and his two clients out the door and started screaming, what did you say? What did you do? You know, they, they, the, these guys all thought they would be beaten up. And the stockbroker said, um, that woman on stage, she was my nanny. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, I think stories like that uh, deserve a place in, in fiction. But as a it, practical matter, and in the answer to your question, Jeff, I, I never wrote fiction while I was... Uh, working for Morgan Stanley or Silvercrest or any of the other firms. Uh, what I would say is is that I used to write investment letters to our clients. Mm -hmm. um, we had discretion over the portfolios, which meant that we could make buy and sell decisions on some portfolios without the permission of clients each time. So if we were to buy IBM or to sell IBM, we would send a letter out to our clients with every trade explaining the rationale. And those things, as you can imagine, might they can be pretty dry. There's a lot of uh, writing from Wall Street that's, I mean, it's the next best thing to Somnex. <laughs> but I... Um, 
I, I used to get hear from my clients. They'd say, Nora, but, oh, man, you, you should really write. And so I did. I started telling the story. And when I was working at Morgan Stanley, I would get up at 5 in the morning and write until 7. Then I'd go and go to work, and I'd write after, uh, after I came home and on the weekends. And my wife used to call me a hermit with a laptop because I was telling that story all the time in my spare time. And did that become top producer? And that became top producer, yes. Thank you. And do you remember, do you remember, was there, was there any kind of um, classic light bulb moment for you when you, when you decided to turn from writing these investment letters to, to giving it a try to, to writing a novel, or was it just something that just kind of happened gradually? Oh, I think it was more evolutionary than revolutionary. Like I say, I, I've been telling stories all my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's one I could tell you about my uh, mother's world-famous shrimp, which has nothing to do with, uh, with finance. Or I could tell you about the time uh, one of the bosses at Morgan Stanley bit off his subordinate's ear. I mean, there, there are just any number of stories that, that I've been telling. And writing just seemed like something I had to do. Uh, you, you know, I think as you, as you grow older, you want to do the things that you want to do. And and I, I like writing. I like telling stories. And so uh, turning myself into an author just seemed like the next logical step. Great. Well, um, sometimes financial topics, as you know from your years uh, working on Wall Street, can be arcane for... Uh, for the lack of a better word, a mass audience. In in writing Top Producer and The Gods of Greenwich, was that something that you thought about or ever found yourself grappling with, with how to kind of explain the the backdrop and, and some of the machinations behind the, the financial details so that it would be understandable for a commercial thriller? Oh, you bet. Um, I, let me clue you in on a little secret, Jeff. I hate numbers. <laughs> I don't care for them at all. <laughs> and and the securities, I mean, come on, nobody wants to read a, a thriller about securities. I mean, that, that stuff can be worse than fingernails against a chalkboard. So in The Gods of Greenwich, I really focus on relationships. And I'll give you a couple of examples. My favorite character in the book is a woman by the name of Bianca Leeser. She's not the primary character, but, you know, she's a close second. And uh, I really had a lot of fun building in her backstory. Um, You know, if I could have lunch with anybody in the world, living or dead, it would probably be Dorothy Parker, because I think she was the sharpest wit that ever ever breathed, you know, that was ever part of uh, uh, mankind. And the thing I, I've done with Bianca Leeser is I've, I've built my personal love for Dorothy Parker into Bianca's backstory. So she is a uh, retired romance bestseller. She's given up her career as an author to support her husband, who runs this hedge fund that's never lost money. And Bianca 
runs around the book uh, quoting Dorothy Parker, which gives me a chance to sort of uh, quote some of my favorite things that Dorothy Parker ever said. Uh, among them, uh, I like a martini to it the most. After three, I'm under the table. After four, I'm under my host. Uh, <laughs> you see what I mean? It has nothing to do with finance whatsoever. Sure. Uh, sure. I also talk about a condition called prosopagnosia, uh, which some of my cousins have. That's face blindness. Uh, that's the literal meaning for prosopagnosia. And if you have face blindness, you can have a conversation around the dinner table. You can talk to your friends. Uh, you can talk to people. But the next day, you won't recognize their faces. You'll remember the conversation. You'll remember everything that went back and forth, but you can't identify somebody on the street by virtue of their face. Again, prosopagnosia has nothing to do with some of the arcane instruments that you see in, in uh, Wall Street, uh, like CDOs and uh, the stuff that people talk about. Uh, I'm curious, I mean, given the the backdrop of the novel, and I'm sure you're personally familiar with that Metro North train that goes from Grand Central to, to Greenwich, uh, and, and, you know, the characters who, who ride that each day, have you, have you, do you have any sense of your readership and, and has it kind of um, struck a nerve with the people who are, who are working day to day in this setting? You know, the, that's a great question, uh, Jeff. The readership um, varies. Uh, I, so far, when I hear from readers, uh, both, it's both men and women, okay? And what uh, typically I, I hear is... Uh, Things like you know, I love the book, or I didn't like this, but I love, you know, I love this. Uh, this was a problem for me, or what have you. Um, there's very little description or little discussion of the finance or people approaching it, uh, approaching the gods of Greenwich with a finance background. Um, you know, I've talked to sure, I have lots of friends in the industry, and they've read the book, and they think it nails uh, the feeling of working in, in finance uh, in, in a hedge fund. Uh, but, you know, that said, I hear from all kinds of people, and, uh, you know, there, there's no one emphasis or there's no uh, backlash, if, if you will, from the finance industry. Uh, because I'm I'm writing about them. I'm not sure I answered your question. Does that, no, that's does okay. That... That's okay. Um, well, with your with your last name, I think if someone's listening to this podcast, I'm sure they would be curious. So I think I'd be remiss in not asking um, your relationship with Kurt Vonnegut. He was a cousin, correct? Yeah, fourth cousin. Not part of my childhood, um, but I met him as an adult, uh, starting my junior year in in college. Uh, he's a great guy. A source of inspiration in in many many ways. Um, some that you might uh, guess uh, as a as a writer, and some that you wouldn't necessarily guess. I'll give you a great example. One one thing about Kurt is 
had he not been a great writer, I think he would have made a terrific bond salesman. Um, although I had this discussion with his son, and Mark disagrees. The thing that I remember, though, is that he he was always pushing something. He always had a product to sell. He's a really good salesperson, which is which is why I say that he could have been a, a Bond guy. Um, you know, when my wife and I got married between years and at Harvard Business School, we invited him to our wedding. And he, he sent back this very funny letter, which we have to this day. And he typed it up on an old, with an old typewriter, you know, flying K's and dropping L's. And he said, um, no, I can't come. Sorry about that. And uh, there's just one thing I, I want you to know. And it may be a little premature, so forgive me. But uh, my son lives in the area. And if you ever have a need, he's a pediatrician. <laughs> it was just classic, classic Kurt. Um, so, um, so yeah, like I say, fourth cousin. That's great. Well, um, given your experience thus far with Top Producer and Gods of Greenwich, do you have any tips if you're speaking to someone who's an aspiring writer that that you know any wisdom to impart? Oh, yeah. Um, I'll tell you, the, the first thing that uh, I would say uh, is don't tell anybody you're writing a novel. And the second thing I would say is make sure to tell everybody you're writing stories. Or make sure, excuse me, make sure to tell everybody your stories. And it almost sounds like an oxymoron. It almost sounds like I'm uh, speaking out two sides of my mouth. But let me explain what I mean. While you're writing, if you tell people you're writing a novel, uh, inevitably you get uh, somebody who says, oh, let me, let me read it. And if you let somebody read your work and they don't like it, and they say, well, you know, it's okay, then all of a sudden you're crushed. And that's a good reason to stop. There are thousands of good reasons to stop. And so I think aspiring writers owe it to themselves to finish first and then to um, to sort of in, in, uh, go with the, the thing that feels so good and, and to say, well, gee, I've written a novel as opposed to I'm writing a novel. I've written one. At least that way you're finished. You feel great about yourself. It's a tremendous accomplishment of finishing a book. And everybody should be proud of that, regardless as to whether they, they uh, get published or not. But don't tell people, because, it, you know, listen, I, I know how I am. And what, what, um, uh, what I, I think is that, uh, gee, if I don't hear that the novel's the greatest thing since the Bible, uh, you know, I'm crushed. Um, and and I'll tell you, I I am so uh, adamant about this this uh, uh, bit of advice. Let me let me tell you what I did. I didn't tell my wife I was writing a novel, and so uh, Mary would see me disappear into my office for long hours, and she'd ask me like, well, "What are you doing?" I said, oh, "I've got to catch up on some work from the office." And meanwhile, what she's thinking is that I'm like buried in internet porn of some kind, you know. So, <laughs> so 
so I'll never forget this day as long as I live. Um, and I remember one one afternoon, it was like a Saturday, I think. I went downstairs. I, I worked out um, um, on our treadmill, and and uh, then went back to work afterwards. Didn't think anything of it. Well, while I was downstairs, what I didn't know is that my wife Mary had taken a flash drive to my computer, and she stole my novel. She, you know, she ran off with it. Didn't tell me. And so the next day, she's laughing in her room the whole time. This is top producer. Uh, laughing, and, and I thought she was on the phone with a friend of hers. I had no idea. But then, you know, I'm trying to work. I kind of forgot, forgot about it. And at dinner, um, the four, we have two kids, and the four of us were sitting down. And we have spaghetti every Sunday night. And so we had this uh, spaghetti meal, and... And the kids went off to do their homework, and I started to clean up with Mary. And she said, um, we need to talk. And I thought, oh, no. You know, what's, uh, uh, she said, I have a confession to, to make. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, this is getting really bad. I have no idea. And she, she said, uh, I stole your book. She copped to the heist. And I said, oh. And she said, I loved it. And so I was really fortunate because she gave me a lot of good encouragement and feedback, and that helped me finish it. But it could have gone the other way. And so advice number one is don't tell anybody. I didn't even tell my wife. But then try your stories out on everybody. And what I mean by that is is aspiring writers should tell the stories or the anecdotes that work their way into the novels or try out some expressions. Because when you talk with people, you hear it aloud, you hear, you see how people react to it. If they, if you sort of think you have a great description of something and somebody is nonplussed by it, well, then you have real live feedback. It's like having your very own focus group. So um, I think that rather than saying I'm writing a novel, just try out your stories and, and see how people respond to them. That's that's good advice. Are you are you working on a new novel now? Oh, you bet. Um, you know, uh, my third novel, I'm really excited about. Um, I think it will scare charities across the United States. Um, it will be terrifying to them, and it's really a story. You, you need a big theme to start with everything. Uh, so, like in the the Gods of Greenwich, I said. My big theme for the gods of Greenwich is uh, keeping up with the Joneses. What would you do to keep up with the Joneses if you run a hedge fund and your primary ambition in life is to join the glitterati of money management? That's a big picture theme. So in my third novel, As Yet Untitled, my, my theme is that some really bad guys uh, venture into financial services and they hide their bad deeds, some really horrific behavior, behind the protection of the First Amendment. Now, all of a sudden, that sounds like a big statement, and, and we're all trying to remember what the First Amendment is, uh, because it cuts a really wide swath. Um, but in this example, I'm talking about freedom of religion. Um, 
and uh, I guess I'll just leave it there and, until uh, I get further along in the in the story. Okay, people can look for that and uh, down the road. Yeah, it should be out in the summer of 2012. I, uh, okay. The kind of literature I'm interested in writing is is something that uh, keeps somebody company at the beach with their margarita. Sure. Well, where can people find you online? Norbvonnegut.com, or just Google Norb Vonnegut. I'll, I'll come up. Uh, uh, but yeah, come to my website and take a take a look. I put up stuff all the time. And you know what I really love, Jeff? I love it when people send me pictures of themselves holding uh, a book, either Top Producer or The Gods of Greenwich. I put those up on my website all the all the time. So if your listeners are so inclined, shoot me an email and I'll put it up there. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Norb Vonnegut, author of the new thriller, The Gods of Greenwich, which is available in bookstores now. Norb, thanks for doing the interview. Oh, it's an honor to be here. Thank you so much, Jeff. This is Lee Child, and I'm listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Thanks for listening to my latest podcast. If you have a chance, please leave a review of the podcast in iTunes. It only takes a moment. Until next time, read some good books and be well.
Welcome to the 55th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Norb Vonnegut, author of the financial thriller's Top Producer and the Gods of Greenwich. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 